happy masterful living on a Thursday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being willing to adjust your schedule. I really appreciate it. You know that it makes it possible for some people to attend who normally could not attend, and we are grateful for that. I too am grateful for an opportunity to mix things up a little. It's nice. Nice too when we can have some classes on the weekend and make it possible for the Europeans to join us. Love that. So, dive right in here. So grateful to join together and to begin again in prayer. Ah, so grateful and so thankful to open our hearts and open our minds to the higher Holy Spirit self. So grateful and so thankful to open ourselves to an unlimited, unprecedented activity of love. It is the power of love that funds our life and being. It is the power of love that lives through us and as us, and we are grateful and thankful to recognize ourselves as expressions of perfect love, already perfect, already whole, already complete. We are truly grateful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to relinquish thoughts of the past, thoughts of lack, attack, limitation, and separation, and to trade them all for a remembrance of the truth that is our liberation. It is our freedom. We're opening our hearts and opening our minds to the infinite capacity of love that is our natural state. We are grateful. Grateful, grateful, grateful to open ourselves here and now and declare that this is a time of healing. We are willing. We are calling forth a great healing and we're allowing that healing to simply be. We let it be. We share the benefits with all beings because we're one with them and in gratitude we know that it is done and accomplished. So we relax into that awareness, saying yes wholeheartedly. We know it's done. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yes. All right. So, let's see here. I have a few things I want to mention. And Rosemary, I see you raising your hand there. Thank you. I will call you in just a, a few minutes here. One of the things that I would like to share with you is I... Uh, I've been really enjoying doing the uh, one-on-one, the uh, check-in. So we do three check-ins a year, and uh, this is the second go-round. Um, if you haven't had yours yet, uh, I think I still have a little room in my calendar, and I'll be making more. So anyone who would like to have one, you'll definitely get a chance to have one. So I'll be putting some more times in my calendar as soon as I can, and uh, I'll, I'll make sure that that's known to everyone. One of the things talking with someone today, they were saying, what a great benefit it was to them to do the daily journal exercise. So in your workbook, uh, there are enough daily journals really for you to, to do the whole year that way. 
And this is something that people have told me over and over and over again throughout the years, that that's one of the best tools they have as a basic spiritual practice, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, filling out those questions. So I encourage you to take a look at that if you never have taken a look at it. It's never too late to begin working with the journal. And another thing is that uh, I had suggested to you, recommended to you at the beginning of the year was to write out your contract, and I give you simple guidelines there in your journals, and there's a, a, a blank version of the contract in each one of the three journals. And in the um, third and fourth week of uh, the class, we work with uh, the contract. And so you can go back to that also. You do the visioning again. Great to do that visioning on a regular basis. Please out of week two. And then to use that as the foundation for your contract. And to learn the contract. Learn what it is that you're committing to. So that if somebody woke you up in the middle of the night and they said, What's your contract for the year? You would know it because it's written in your heart and you're really holding it, really energizing it. Time and time again, I've seen that the people who do that have a market, uh, markedly more powerful experience than And I know it's because they do that. They keep fresh before them the experience uh, rather, they keep fresh before them their their off. They keep fresh before them their intentions, their goals, their aspirations, and it makes a really big difference for them. I've seen that year after year after year, and I just wonder if anybody has any questions questions about that. Anybody have any questions about that? And while you're you're contemplating that, I'm going to share with you something I shared in the blog earlier in September. It's uh, one of my favorite pieces of writing. So it's uh, Howard Thurman, the Christian mystic, and it's from his book entitled For the Inward Journey. And this piece of writing is called The Moments of High Resolve. And uh, here we go. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Despite the dullness and the barrenness of the days that pass, if I search with due diligence, I can always find a deposit left by some former radiance. But I had forgotten At the time, it was full-orbed, glorious, and resplendent. I was sure that I would never forget. In the moment of its fullness, I was sure that it would illumine my path for all the rest of my journey. I had forgotten how easy it is to forget. There was no intent to betray what seemed so sure at the time. My response was whole, clean, authentic, 
But little by little, there crept into my life the dust and grit of the journey. Details, lower-level demands, all kinds of cross-currents, nothing momentous, nothing overwhelming, nothing flagrant, just wear and tear. If there had been some direct challenge, a clear-cut issue, I would have fought it to the end and beyond. In the quietness of this place, surrounded by the all-pervading presence of God, my heart whispers, Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve, that in fair weather or in foul, in good times or in tempests, in the days when the darkness and the foe are nameless or familiar, I may not forget that to which my life is committed. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. From For the Inward Journey by Howard Thurman. And I, I posted that in my blog, and I think it was um, September 6th, something like that, that I posted it in my blog. So, yes. So, that helps me. That writing helps me to remember to value the practices and do the practices and remember my high resolve. We've got Cheryl raising her hand here. Hey, Cheryl. Oh, that was total accident. <laughs> you did not mean yeah, to raise um, your hand. No, I meant to self-mute myself. Ah, well... Maybe Spirit was hoping you would share something. Oh, gosh, I just joined, so I really don't even know where we're at in the conversation. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. You know, um, um, you, you, if I may share that um, you have uh, really noticed the difference that doing the practices of masterful living has been making in your life and in your family. And uh, you shared with me some of the, the differences and the success that it's been for you. And I wonder, um, and you shared in the um, Facebook group uh, the experience of real, having a totally different experience when it seemed like your son's uh, iPad was lost and then you found it, and it was a great teaching and learning for you. And um, I wonder if you would just like to share maybe what you think has contributed to that success for you. Oh, you know, Jennifer, I am just so amazed. Um, I've been doing this because I started in Finding Freedom and now Masterful Living, and I am just so amazed at how just by shifting how you can have um, your outlook on everything. I used to always think, like I said, I used to always feel like, okay, I'm going to choose. I'm happy. I'm going to choose joyful. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to choose all this. But I never realized the bottom of how much 
the fear was underlying all of my choices, even though I was choosing love. My ego was letting me think I was choosing love, where a lot of my foundation was based in fear. Mm. And and by doing the tools and actually practicing and being able to notice, wait a minute, no, this is more, I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing this out of love, but I'm doing this out of fear. And it's been, a, it's been an amazing, amazing experience. And I've been able to, you know, like you said, um, that whole episode with my kid's backpack, you know, instead of reacting to it, I'm just going, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm being responsible. We're just going to, this is, this is what I'm, I'm accepting this. I'm not, um, and I'm accepting it peacefully. I'm not accepting it in anger or fear anymore. I'm accepting it more in peace. And, you know, through that peace, um, it was able to manifest in a, you know, in a way that where I walked in the school the next morning and there was his backpack. Um, and I was just like, hallelujah. I didn't put any, I didn't go off the wall and go, you lost your backpack. No, I'm responsible. I didn't put any of that energy out there, which was, which if I had still walked in in the morning and it was still the same outcome, would have been just wasted energy. And that's what I'm learning through all of these tools is that we really have a choice of how we use our energy. You know, and I wonder, too, what the impact is on your son because, look, we all – I can't tell you how many times I leave my wallet. I, I You know, I leave my purse even. I just – I can be absent-minded like that sometimes. And uh, I will forget my credit card in the store, things like that. And um, I've left my um, debit card in the cash machine things like that. So, uh, and we all have done things like that, but berating ourselves or someone else when they make a simple error, it doesn't help anything. And even if you've got a child or a friend or a spouse who's not paying attention a lot of time, who's absent-minded, because some people definitely appear to have that, um, berating them all the time for their errors, it's not going to change their ways. Oh, yeah. I I totally agree. Like, Warren and I were just talking about that when we were coming home from football practice. And he's like, Mom, I remembered my backpack. And I'm like, I, you know, he's like, I'm like, I bet you're not going to forget your backpack anymore. He's like, no, Mom. You know, I really, you know, I. he's like, I, I really realized that night that you know, it how important it was to remember my backpack, but the whole thing was is that, Mom, you didn't get upset. You were so calm through the whole thing that it made me realize that, it, it, that you know, these things happen, and yet I have to still be responsible. Wow. So it was kind of cool, yeah, you know, that he realized that. And isn't that a much better way for us to learn things than someone yelling at us and trying to make us feel bad? To oh, teach yeah. Us um, 
I, I am so amazed that, you know, like I said, I, I started this class because my kids started getting to a point where they were, I was always yelling at them because they were, you know, coming into their teenage years and they were trying to be who they were as their people. And I just didn't want to be a parent like that. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to be that image. And um, it's such a blessing that I can actually now, even when I'm trying to, like my older son the other night, I explained this earlier that, you know, he was trying to, like, well, you know, now that Warren lost his backpack, it's probably not a good idea to bring up that I need a backpack. And I was like, you know, and it's not really about you right now. It's about your brother right mm. now. And you need to just mm-hmm. focus on your brother. Instead of going off on my older son, at that moment, too, I was just like, you know, I explained to him that this, you know, we need to just focus on where we're at right now. This moment right now is we're trying to find Warren's backpack. And, you know, and so I'm able to, as a parent, which is a beautiful thing, um, bring in, like, just bring my kids back to the moment that we're at. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the most beautiful things I've heard about parenting, Shelley, is uh, in 2014, I had Robert Holden on my radio show sometime, I think, in July or August. And I asked him a lot of questions about parenting because he has two young children. And um, one of the things he said was that he doesn't tell their – he and his wife don't tell their children – that the children are good or bad. They find other ways to say praise and things like that. Uh, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Oh, what a nice job you did. Or Rather than saying that they are good or bad, because it's not enough just to not say, oh, you're not bad, but everyone's good and to not make their goodness about something that they're doing. So not to make their goodness circumstantial. So they're always good regardless of what they're doing. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think um, Venerable had talked about that too in one of her classes. And when Mm -hmm. I heard that, I was like, wow, that's a beautiful way to parent, you know, to always, um, bring out the best in your children. And, you know, I I really just, I think that's, and I am so learning every day, even from my children. And, um, you know, I, I see this throughout my whole life, though, like what you were, we were talking about earlier today. Um, even at work, like I had moved out of one of my offices to take another position because I was always constantly fighting with my coworker. And now, we work beautifully together, you know. So I just can't say how wonderful it is to actually be able to see the shift and know it's because I choose to see it differently. And it's like what you were just saying, Jennifer. I'm choosing not to see it as, you know, as a difficulty or as a problem. I'm just choosing to see it like, okay, this is my responsibility and I have two choices. I can either go about it and accept it and do it joyfully, whether it's 
changing the tire in the middle of a rainstorm or I can get angry at it and not have, you know, not have it flow. And it is so amazing when you can actually just stop and do that. I know I'm not perfect yet. There's still times when people like push my buttons and I go, ah, wait, you know, and I have to reflect on it later. But um, I, I can't say enough about how wonderful I really feel. And, you know, like I said, it's, I just feel an acceptance and a peace and a joy. Mm-hmm. Yes, so nice. And and you have put some work into it. I have, yeah. Um, I I do. I can't say I'm religious about doing the workbooks every day or, you know, doing the lessons, but I do, you know, I do do those and um, I do get my insights, but it's it's more about, like you said, just um, having that consciousness of making that choice of, you know, I pretty much just say, you know, in the mornings every day when I wake up before I even get out of bed, it's like, you know, I do not want to make any decisions on my own today. Um, I bring in my higher Holy Spirit self, and I'm just like, okay, today I'm just here to be guided and led to wherever I need to be, um, you know, as an instrument of my light and peace of who I am. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, But once again, I couldn't be in that place if I hadn't applied the tools that you've given us, um, mm. you know, like a lot of times I hear myself continue. I don't know what this is for. I just know it's for my higher good. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, um, yeah. And the, the, you know, just, just because if I hadn't applied the tools, I don't think I would have been able to realize that I was in judgment and mm-hmm. being able to remove myself from that judgment, you know, and like, okay, when I'm feeling attacked, then that person's feeling attacked. So there's another way to look at this. I mean, mm-hmm. all of your little things that you've given us are just like little gemstones. And it's like when we chip away at all the other things, there's just this beautiful, I can't even describe it, um, feeling, I, you know, it's it's an amazing it's amazing. I'm I'm just very grateful. I just I'm in gratitude all day long now. Mm. That's it. That's it. Making that shift. Yeah. And as you have told us with this backpack, it's not as though you don't have challenges that you know are giving you a chance to practice, but you're choosing to practice, and that's. That's where our power is, is making the choice to practice. Oh, yeah, I have problems every day. (laughs) You know, and I I listen to everybody else's problems, and I'm like, wait, I have one just similar to that. That's We are one of this oneness because, wait, if I just put in my variables and take out your variables, the equation's still the same. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah. And and I'm so grateful for the community and everyone with their share because, like I said, I can see that and put my variables in there. And as they have their aha moments, especially in the masterful living um, in the Facebook community, as they have their aha moments or even sharing in class and you work through them and they all have their aha moments, 
I then have my aha moments that I can apply in my own life. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm very, very grateful to everyone that shares and all all the healing that we're all doing together. Yes. Yes and yes. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Thank you for sharing, Cheryl. Oh, you're welcome. Like I said, it was meant to be. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you. All right. I'm I'm prompted by spirit to share a story uh regarding children and um teaching children that uh is uh, a wonderful experience that I had a long time ago, um, probably now about, let's see, 18 years ago, my nephew, Ben, my oldest nephew, he was about six years old, and his school was going on a field trip, and uh, they were uh, going, it was right around Halloween, they were going out to a farm and they were going to go on a hayride and ride ponies and bob for apples and things like that. And so we were out in front of the school. We were lining up for the bus and the teacher called for the children to buddy up, to partner up and have a buddy. And because uh, they were going to use that buddy system on their field trip. So, after my nephew Ben gets his buddy, he comes over to me, and I can see he's upset. And I say, what's the matter, Ben? What's going on? How come you're upset? And he says, Philip is my buddy. And I said, what? what? Why is that a problem? He said, oh, I don't want to be Philip's buddy Philip is a bad kid. I don't want to be his buddy. And I said, wait, what? Philip is a bad kid? Yes, yes, he's a bad kid. I don't want to be his buddy. And I said, well, wait a minute. What makes Philip a bad kid? And he said, oh, he gets in trouble. I said, he gets in trouble sometimes? Yes, yes, he's a bad kid. I don't want to be his buddy. I said, well, hang on a second here. Ben, I said, you're a good kid, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, I mean, really, you're a good kid, aren't you? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm a good kid. I said, right. I said, but let's face it, dude, sometimes you get in trouble, right? And he says, yeah. I said, but you're still a good kid, even though you get in trouble sometimes. He says, yeah. And I said, so maybe Philip's just like you. Maybe he's a really good kid who just gets in trouble sometimes like you do. But he's still a good kid even though he gets in trouble sometimes. And he thought, yeah, yeah, maybe that's right. And so he went on the field trip with Philip as his buddy in a totally different mindset They had a great time, and they became friends. They became buddies. (laughs) And he had a great time with Philip. No more issues, no more thoughts of Philip being a bad kid. 
Somewhere in his classroom, he was labeled a bad kid. Somehow. The teacher, the students had labeled that child as a bad kid. But in an instant, Ben was willing to let that thought go because he was a kid. He looked, and he did know that he was time. So just doing the math for him, he realized good kids can get in trouble sometimes, and it does not take away their goodness. That made sense to a six-year-old. It made perfect to the six-year-old. And these kinds of conversations are really worth having. I was doing a work uh, earlier this year, and there was a parent who said, talk about judgmental and you say, what do you not say? Hey, what if I Each child and another and the other child is older and my other child got in and said something to the special needs child that was unkind. It was a derogatory, sarcastic, snarky remark. I happen to remember what it was now. And so she was like, so what do I do with that? And I could tell that she was really asking me, how do I reprimand the older child for saying a mean thing to the child who also happens to be some kind of um, kind of disability or special needs, which I don't remember those was right in a second. And what do I say? How do I teach? I said, well, what about this? What about saying to your older child, okay, is something that you're feeling so loved and how can we love you back into your normal loving state? And I saw the mother just, her eyes opened like, was never referred to me. She's like, instead of reacting and reprimanding her for being extending compassion, extending love, are you okay? Because if someone is sarcastic and aggressively mean and taunting, they're not okay. So just reprimanding them and punishing them that's not going to help them, not at all. It's What's it going to do? The net effect is they're going to feel bad about themselves. And isn't that what we do to ourselves? When we're being snarky or unkind or disrespectful or self-medicating or anything, do we have compassion for ourselves? Do we have open our hearts to ourselves? Or do we start berating ourselves and being unkind to ourselves? Now, love is the healer in all situations and circumstances. So it's about having that living practice of love by looking for what is the loving choice so that we can learn through being loving 
rather than being attacking, judgmental, punishing, things like that. Now, Isabel's raising her hand here. Hey, Isabel. Well, um, Jennifer, it the um, transcription mm-hmm. was very unclear for this. Like you talked about your nephew, and I think that came through well. But then you were talking about something else, another uh, um, thing, and it was um, I was very couldn't really make it out. And then, but your talk now and for the last uh, couple of minutes has been clear. So I don't know what happened. Which I, I totally missed. I mean, not totally. I could sometimes get some words. I don't know what so just in the you're saying just in the last five minutes uh I don't know how long it went on where it was very unclear, but now it seems clear. I missed did you talk like you talked about your nephew and then didn't you talk about some other people another example yes, yeah well I, that part was all jumbled up for me, okay, all right. No one else um, their hand to tell you that too. Uh, n- no, but maybe somebody could help clarify. So I yes, can either. Yes. Oh, someone is saying it is starting to distort again. Oh, you know, I don't know what it is. Um, before I was calling in on my phone, and now I'm calling in on the internet. I'm using two different headsets, so it must be something with the internet that's happening now. It's good now. Okay. For me. Yeah. All right. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe I can... Oh, sometimes the technical challenges. I really appreciate your um, raising your hand and telling me that. Yeah, I might change to a different... Uh, yeah. Okay, thank you, Isabel. Well, you're welcome. All right. Well, I don't know that it's... uh, I don't know if I should repeat that story or not. Um, Yeah. Let's see. If if you would like me to repeat the story I told it after my interview about the woman who picked up her kids, and one of her kids made a sarcastic remark. Um, she's already in her hand. So, yes, Christina, I should repeat it. Um, I don't know about repeating it, but I think what was going on initially when you were calling in from your phone, it wasn't mm-hmm. a staticky connection. It was just your headset. It, that you were just, it seemed like the microphone was um, away from your mouth. And it was ah. just sort of hollow. It was just kind of hollow and tinny, and there was a little bit of um, distortion. Um, what's happening now with the Skype call is just that your internet um, connection is not stable. So there's some distortion as the internet's coming in and out. And thank you. I always say it takes a village to raise an absolute village. Lord, Lord. 
uh, I'm going to um, be if I find some work and but it's full. Anyone can just raise their hand if uh, and that kind of goes up. All right. Do a couple things here. Improve things. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else have anything they want to share before we move on? Any inspired to share anything? Ask any questions before we move on? All right. I am moving on. And one thing you can know about putting the messages in, that's great, but I often don't check the message board. Um, I, I check it periodically, so it's not like I'm checking it every minute. So that's one of the things. It's helpful when you can post things in the message board, but I don't always see it right away. Um so just letting you know about that. All right. So we have been talking about the characteristics of the teachers of God. And that's from the Manual for Teachers, Chapter 4, in A Course in Miracles, and applying it to our relationships. And the fifth characteristic of the teachers of God is joy. And for me, one of the great realizations is that joy is unconditional. And I'm interested, I'm supremely interested in experiencing unconditional joy rather than conditional joy. Unconditional joy. Now, it says... In here, joy is the inevitable result of gentleness. Gentleness means that fear is now impossible. And what could come to interfere with joy? The open hands of gentleness are always filled. The gentle have no pain. They cannot suffer. Why would they not be joyous? They are sure they are beloved and must be safe. Joy goes with gentleness as surely as grief attends attack. God's teachers trust in God, and they are sure God's teacher goes before them, making sure no harm can come to them. They hold God's gifts and follow in his way, because God's voice directs them 
in all things. Joy is their song of thanks. And Christ looks down on them in thanks as well. His need of them is just as great as theirs of him. How joyous it is to share the purpose of salvation. So consider how much energy you put into trying to be joyful, trying to be happy. Right? The pursuit of happiness is what a lot of people are putting a huge amount of energy into. So there's the elimination of the pain and then trying to be happy, trying to be joyful. And so often there is this strong belief that our joy and happiness comes from our experience of our circumstances that happiness and joy come from feeling well, physically fit. Joy and happiness come from feeling beautiful or pretty or attractive. Feeling happy, feeling joyful comes from having financial abundance and prosperity, having a good job, having meaningful work, having relations friends and relations who love us. It seems as though all of these things make us happy, and yet it's not true. Our our joy and happiness are not circumstantial. They're really spiritual. Because there are many people, I, I've definitely known people in my life who had the health and the wealth, the career, the the beautiful body, all these things, and more. Not happy people, though. We look at Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson, people who had it all. They had the wealth. They had the talent. They had the looks. And they had people who loved them, did not make them happy, did not make them happy. Severe depression, sadness, melancholy, not happiness. Fame, fortune, and good looks. All three of them had them, and it wasn't enough. So we think that the things of this world will make us happy and joyful. But the only thing that makes us happy and joyful is when we are practicing this gentleness. Joy goes with gentleness as surely as grief attends attack. So what is gentleness? So the reminder of gentleness is that when we engage in no harm whatsoever, no judgment whatsoever because harm is the outcome of judgment so we're willing to be the happy learner in the gentleness section it says 
No teacher of God but must learn, and fairly early in his training, that harmfulness completely obliterates his function from his awareness. It will make him confused, fearful, angry, and suspicious. It will make the Holy Spirit's lessons impossible to learn. So, what is it that completely obliterates our function from our awareness? It's our judgment. When we're judging, we're doing harm. We're attacking. That's what obliterates our ability to recognize the path of peace, the path of joy, the path of prosperity and abundance. It's always going to come back to judgment. Joy is the inevitable result of gentleness. Gentleness means that fear is now impossible and what can come to interfere with joy? The open hands of gentleness are always filled. So we can have unconditional joy or we can have temporary happiness. Temporary, it's temporal, it's of this world, it's not eternal. True joy is eternal. It's a divine expression. It is our true nature. Now, this can be difficult to understand, but we don't have to figure out how to understand it, how to comprehend it. We can simply say to the Holy Spirit, teach me about joy. And so our path of learning, as you've heard me say many times, is a path of experiencing contrast. So we have the contrast between the experience of learning through pain and learning through joy. So uh, the experience that Cheryl was sharing with us about learning through well, not quite joy, but certainly not through pain, where she thought her son's backpack was lost and that the iPad would have to be replaced. You know, they're a few hundred dollars. They're not cheap. They could be five, six hundred dollars, not cheap at all. And that's a, a major expense for most people. And uh, so there was concern that that's what was going to have to happen because the iPad was owned by the school. So instead of making the meaning of it that this was a financial loss and this was a problem, she practiced, I don't know what anything is for, and decided she didn't need to be upset. And so you're going to do what you can do, go to the school tomorrow, see if anybody turned it in, and they did, and there it was, and they had it back. All as well. So that's not learning through pain. Even though there seemed to be a loss for a time, there was no pain. And that's how we can make that shift and become a happy learner. Because the pain is always in the mind. Pain is not in the body. It's in the mind.
And we don't see with our body's eyes, we see with the mind. Remember the story I told earlier in the year about the hypnotist who hypnotized a man so that he couldn't see his daughter standing right in front of him. And he held up, behind the daughter's back, he held up a pocket watch with an inscription on it that only the father could see because he held it so closely to the daughter's back. And he asked the father, can you see what I'm holding in my hand? Yes, it's a watch. Can you see what's written on the inscription? Yes, I can. He read the inscription. The entire time, the hypnotist was holding the watch behind the young woman's back. So there was no way for the man to actually see it with his eyes. But he'd been hypnotized to believe his daughter wasn't there. And so he didn't, in his mind, see his daughter. So he could easily see the watch. We don't see with our mind, (laughs) with our eyes. Happiness is not circumstantial. We don't have to learn through pain. These are some fundamental things, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to teach them to us, to show them to us, so that we have a new awareness. Anybody have any thoughts or questions or contributions on this topic? Star 2 to raise your hand. Anybody experiencing learning through joy versus learning through pain and suffering? Star two to raise your hand and share. Ah, Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm great. Wonderful. Um, yeah, this has um, been a really lovely call, as always. Um, I've had a lot of learning through some interesting, seemingly painful things as of late, and um, kind of a settling down and really kind of a refocus of knowing, like, okay, this is obviously the contrast, and I see this now, <laughs> and I don't want to learn that way. <laughs> right. And so... Yeah, and um, just recently this week, I had kind of a, a, a large thing happen in, in the course of many other things that have been happening, and and I, you know, I kind of was like, okay, I don't know how to process this yet, but I can see that this is happening, and kind of um, as um, Cheryl was saying, it's okay, this is happening. Let me observe this, and uh, there was a point where I started getting a little fearful or you know worried and. <clears throat> just kind of, in, you know, the, the emotion started coming, and, and I just really looked at it like you said, and I went, "Oh no, 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 no! We're not, we're not going to learn this way anymore. I can choose differently because I don't need to really sink into that. Because, like you said, with the other um, story that you had told, that there's really nothing that's going to come of it. Obviously, when you sink into that, so I just, mm-hmm. I just, I really kind of did some, uh, you know, I used the tools, I did the work." And, and turned it around, and I really don't have any clue of how this is going to pan out, but I realize that when when I 
sink into that feeling. I have completely given up all of the trust that I'm building, you know, um, in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that just completely shifted my whole um, consciousness. And, and, and I've said, no, I, I want to learn through joy. I know that that's possible. I've read it. I've, you know, Holy Spirit has told me that, that I can be a happy learner. I don't need to learn through the pain or through, um, you know, sinking into that. And I'm willing to actually not only see this differently, but learn differently. And, um, and it just really shifted. So, I mean, I even had this, <laughs> I was on the, the, um, I had lots of fun stories on the train, but I had gotten on the train that day and just was in the, you know, I kind of was in this just mood of, I don't know what's happening. And I, I definitely wasn't being the most compassionate to myself or, or my surroundings. And um, there was a man that sat next to me, and he knew someone sitting next to him, and he was just really loud and kind of just really laughing. And I, I just was in this, like, oh, gosh, I wish he would just, you know, stop or quiet down, and I just can't take this right now. And then I went, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, every moment is a very special encounter, and this is no reason, well, not special, but it's a holy encounter, and there's no reason for me to feel mm. this way, and I just... I asked Spirit, please help me to see this, you know, change my mind about this situation right now. I don't want these feelings. I, I rather feel joy in this moment. Yes. And um, and it was interesting because his friend brought up Louisiana, and I kind of made a little comment, um, something he said, because um, that's where I'm from. And uh, <laughs> and we ended up having the most lovely, like, 20-minute train ride after that. We talked the entire time, all three of us laughing and giggling, and I just had, like, the best encounter. So it was just <laughs> A really simple way to show that. I, I mean, I could have sat there and gotten really upset, and then probably something else would have happened, you know, after that. And and it just was like, nope, I don't want to. No, I don't need to be in that. So, anyway, right. that's it's a little bit of with yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that's just exactly. that easy. <laughs> it's just that easy. It's changing your mind. So, what mm-hmm. does it require for you to change your mind? Just say like I'm not. I, Stopping the pause, definitely pausing and saying, okay, if I continue with the way my mind is right now, then it, it will probably continue to get deeper in that sense, and it'll and it never feels good, and nothing actually really changes. So it's just feeling bad and stuff still sucks. <laughs> Versus, okay, well, stuff might be kind of messed up seemingly to me right now, even though I don't know what it's for, but it may it to to my old way of thinking, this looks like I, you know, this is not a good thing. But I, instead of sitting there and just, you know, feeling bad and it not being a good thing, I can change my my whole perception of it and just saying, no, okay, I'm just going to laugh. I'm going to smile. I'm going to not, like, stay present with it. Stay present. Do not go into another story. Don't go past. And then, and that's the change. It's just like that, just saying that, just like, nope. And every time seeing the wandering happen again, just switch it right back. Switch it right back and, and go, I'd rather at least you know, be joyful as this stuff that doesn't seem good right now is happening. Like, I can just be joyful in it. And then at least I'm not going into that pain, you know, or that, that knowing, thinking I know, taking thinking that I know best. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, yeah. it's, when we are truly willing, when we really desire it, we can make that switch very fast. Mm-hmm. There's no real effort required. And even yeah. if there is some effort required, the more we practice making that switch, the easier it gets. Right. Right. That's what I found. It was that was what I realized. I went, Oh, that was that was fast. <laughs> 
because it was it was a big it was enough for me to go okay I can super jump on that pain train right now and I went uh uh-uh. uh and it just and it and it really and I went oh my gosh it just shifted it really it only was a couple of hours and then I mean it not that anything has changed yet but it I have <laughs> right. That's it. When we shift our point of view, when we shift our perspective, everything shifts. So Mm -hmm. pain is a wrong perspective. Mm. It's our perspective when we're in pain. Our perspective is one of lack and limitation. Mm -hmm. Whether it's we perceive the lack in the world or the lack in ourselves, the lack in our loved ones. Pain is a wrong perspective. It's a perspective of lack. Mhm. Yeah. Of thinking, yeah, thinking that it's not perfect. That something is not perfect yep. right now. Something, yes. something must be wrong, and we know that if it's, we think it's wrong, that's not coming from spirit. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's very helpful. All right. Thank you, Alexa. All right, anyone else have anything they'd like to share? Uh Aha's insights, testimonials. All right. So, the next characteristic of teachers, the teachers of God, is defenselessness. Defenselessness. It's the sixth characteristic, and it's God's teachers have learned how to be simple. God's teachers have learned how to be simple. They have no dreams that need defense against the truth. They do not try to make themselves. Their joy comes from their understanding who created them. And does what God created need defense? No one can become an advanced teacher of God until he fully understands that defenses are but foolish guardians of mad illusions. The more grotesque the dream, the fiercer and the more powerful its defenses seem to be. Yet, when the teacher of God finally agrees to look past them, he finds that nothing was there. Slowly, at first, he lets himself be undeceived. But he learns faster as his trust increases. It is not danger that comes when defenses are laid down. It is safety. It is peace. It is joy. And it is God. God's teachers have learned how to be simple. They have no dreams that need defense against the truth. No dreams that need defense against the truth. Now, one of the things that... A uh, Course of Miracles talks about is sickness as a defense against the truth. Uh, that's one of the, the um, lessons of A Course of Miracles is to learn what is a defense against the truth. So we put our belief into something, 
and something that's not actually true. And we defend against the truth. So the truth is we are whole. We are perfect. We are complete. And sometimes when you say to someone, but hey, wait, not that I would actually do this, but let's say I were to say to someone who's feeling ill, looking ill, hey, but you're perfect, perfect, whole, and complete. They might start to defend their situation. So spirit is always reassuring us that we are perfect. And that our mind is powerful and we can hold whatever we like in it. We can choose to be happy or we can choose to experience pain. We have the free will to choose. But we have aligned with the ego. And so we start defending, instead of the truth, we defend against the truth. So many times I've had the experience where someone came to me for counseling and we start to get into what's really going on with the person. And I might say something simple like, I understand your experience and the truth is you are eternally perfect. I probably wouldn't say that so much in a in a counseling session unless the person was very uh a dedicated student, but still uh they might start to defend and say, "But Jennifer, you don't understand my situation. It's not that simple." So they start to defend against the truth. So, of course, miracles tells us in my defenselessness, my safety lies. So there's nothing to defend. My defenselessness is my salvation. There's nothing to defend because I am not being attacked. I'm not attacking myself. Other people are not attacking me. And, of course, miracles even go so far as to say, because only love is real and nothing real can be threatened, there is no attack. Only love is real. Love is what we are. Nothing real can be threatened. Therefore, we cannot be threatened. Not in reality not in our eternal reality. The appearance in human form, yes, we could appear to be attacked, but if we really love God, if we love the Lord, as they say, then we don't even have to defend ourselves. We don't even have to protect ourselves. We will be protected. If our motives are pure and our mind is clear, so defenselessness is a characteristic of God's teachers. Let's see how we can take 
defenselessness into our relationships. We talked about bringing the joy into our relationships, being the joyous learner, being unconditionally joyful, even when our loved ones seem to be making errors and mistakes and making choices that seem to be upsetting and detrimental, we can still be joyful. We can still be harmonious. So being defenseless in our relationships. Let's see how we can find that. So it says God's teachers have learned how to be simple. They have no dreams that need defense against the truth. So we're not dreaming of something that um, is a defense against the truth, like uh, our sickness is a defense against the truth. Uh, sickness is a defense against the truth means that rather than accept our wholeness and our perfection, we're accepting illness, which is uh, the appearance of the belief of separation. Now, I, I, last summer, I injured my back. What was that for? It was for my learning. So I healed my mind through injuring my back. I helped to heal my mind. Everything works together for my good. So judging sickness or illness or someone who's in pain does not help them, nor does it help you at all. So that's why we can go to, I don't understand what anything is for. And it says in the defensive section that our joy comes from our understanding. So no dreams that need defense against the truth. So we're not dreaming of things that would somehow uh, be detrimental to our spiritual journey. We do not try to make ourselves. So we are willing to accept and to know they were made in the image and likeness of our creator and that we didn't make ourselves nor do we heal ourselves nor do we wake uh, make ourselves joy comes from their understanding who created them we are created in the spiritual image and likeness of the creator and accepting that is where our joy is. And does what God created need defense? So knowing that we're made in the spiritual image and likeness of God, what would there be to defend? There'd only be something to defend if we thought we were bad or wrong in some way. But since we're not, there's nothing to defend. It says, no one can become an advanced teacher of God until he fully understands that defenses are but foolish guardians of mad illusions. Defenses are but foolish guardians of mad illusions. So I invite you, and this is what I wrote about in my Spiritual Espresso today about someone defending themselves and how that looks and feels. In fact, I wrote it as a dialogue, and I'm going to um, read that dialogue uh, here for you now. 
Because I have, oh boy, am I familiar with this conversation. Goodness gracious. Great balls of fire. Lordy, lordy, lord almighty. So here's, and so what I wrote in the um, blog was self-defense is self-attack. One mental habit that takes up a lot of time and energy is defending ourselves. Here's an example. So someone says, probably me, (laughs) I wish there was coffee. I'd really love a cup right now. And the defensive person says, you never said you were going to want coffee, so I didn't prepare for that. If you had let me know you were going to want coffee, I would have gotten it for you. All you had to do is let me know, but you never said anything about coffee, even though we talked about what we do today three times. You never once brought it up. So I had no way of knowing. You you never said anything to me about coffee. And then I say, right, I get it. You didn't make any mistakes. I never thought about it until right now. It was just a thought. It would be nice to have coffee now. It's not a big deal. I don't need any coffee. And the defender says, it's not my fault there's no coffee. You never mentioned that you might want coffee. I had no idea you might want coffee. If I'd known, I could have prepared. I would have been happy to get you some coffee and have it ready for you if I'd known, but you never said anything. And I say, it's cool. It's not a problem. You didn't do anything wrong. And the defender says, but if you just told me, you could have had what you wanted. I could have done that for you. I just had no way to know because you never said anything. And I say, I get it. Can we please stop talking about this now? (laughs) Right? Has anybody ever had that experience? And I used to be a defender. I used to be a defender. And one of the ways that we heal our minds is we're encountering people who have the same patterns as we do. So we can look in the mirror and see what that's about. I invite you to consider in what ways might you have been or be in a habit of defending yourself. Do you notice that that's something you do? Anybody like to share? Do you have experiences of of talking with someone who's defending themselves frequently? Are you someone who's defending yourself frequently? Is this a pattern operating in your mind? I know that for me, it often goes right alongside attack. So sometimes my mind will go to preparing to have a, a negative conversation with somebody where I'm defending myself or trying to prove that I'm innocent. And now, fortunately, I realize, oh, yeah, that's not helpful to me. I'm not going to invest my energy in that anymore. And I change the channel. I change my mind. I speak a word of prayer. Hey, Cheryl. Hi, Jennifer. It's me again. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I... Because of the way I was raised, um, my stepfather would always tell me I'm stupid. Anyways, we don't have to go there. But I was always defending myself. My friends would always be like, why are you saying that? I'm like, I don't know. But I would always be like, oh, no, we we da-da-da. And I would always be trying to defend myself even though they weren't attacking me. Right. 
Um, and it was, oh, well, I have two moose walking down my road right now. <sighs> kind of cool. Um, two two so, what? Two moose. Oh. Yeah. Very I was just cool. walking down the road. That was very cool. Um, so it, it's, it, it's just, an, like I said, once again, it's all these tools because I don't find myself defending myself anymore. But my friends would say, like, let's go here. And I would be like, why do we want to go there? Why don't we go, you know, and or they would say, well, why do you always have to, like, jump in and, like, add your two bits to it to make sure that you were, not, you know, noticed? And it would be because I was always trying to, you know, defend myself to be worthy, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, to prove you yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really come up with an example, except for I just notice now that I'm not always trying to prove myself or defend myself, that even though they weren't attacking me, the same thing with the coffee. I would have been the total one, like, well, I would have kind of got you coffee if you could have let me know you want a coffee, but now, so how do we go about getting, you know, I, I would have been that person right there. Yeah, you know and you'd let me know. Yeah, so yeah, and I, it, it takes a lot of energy. It does, and I enjoy being around my friends more now because I'm not trying to prove myself to them. I'm not trying to make them like me. I'm not trying to defend who I am with them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. It does. And I know that I think we've all felt some version of this, being around somebody who's trying to prove their worthiness or trying to impress us, that it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel well, harmonious. And and the other thing is it doesn't feel good being that person trying to prove yourself. Oh, yeah. No, for sure it doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I think that in itself, like you said, is, and you don't even know you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, and and now I, I I see where I had done that all my life. Like I've always tried to prove myself, and just to make just to make myself feel worthy in front of whoever I'm with. Right. So it may not be as much of a defense, but. In my in my defense, <laughs> I would have been the person saying, "Oh, let me go. Oh, we. Should, oh, I wish you would have let me know that. I could have planned for that. Let's plan for this now. Let's do that. You know, because not was I being defensive, but I was trying to prove to them that I'm worthy of them liking me. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
And I think it's so worth looking for these patterns and recognizing them. So we recognize that they exist when we notice that divine alarm clock going off, feeling uncomfortable. That's how I began to notice, oh, I'm defending myself here. I don't need to do that. I haven't done anything wrong. It's okay. Yeah, there's no coffee. Nobody mentioned it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, that's my share. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, one of the things I used to do as a defense was attack. You know, they say that the best defense is a good offense. So attack attack as an as a defense strategy. So when I was a kid, my parents would say to me something like, hey, what did you do that for? And I would defend myself by saying, well, look at what my brother did, not even addressing what I did. Forget about me. Let's look over there. Defend myself by deflection, by attacking someone else. That was one of my strategies. Now, it says in here in the defenselessness section in Chapter 4 of the uh, Manual for Teachers, it says, and it's my page 14 in the Manual for Teachers, it says, does what God created need defense? No one can become an advanced teacher of God until he fully understands that defenses are but foolish, guardi- foolish gardens, guardians <laughs> of mad illusions. So defenses are guardians of mad illusions, mad illusions that we are not good enough. It says, the more grotesque the dream, the fiercer and more powerful its defenses seem to be. Yet, when the teacher of God finally agrees to look past them, he finds that nothing was there. Yeah. That the defenses are just mind games. They have no substance. It says, slowly at first, he lets himself be undeceived. Yet he learns faster as his trust increases. It is not danger that comes when defenses are laid down. It's safety. It is peace. And it is God. Yes. That's right. So... It's it's interesting, and it's definitely a switch in our way of thinking to recognize that in our defenselessness, our safety lies. There's nothing to defend. We're perfect, whole, and complete. And in this world, there's nothing to defend because we're learning through an experience of the illusion. We haven't done anything wrong. We don't have to defend ourselves. Those are the fundamental truths. And so accepting our defenselessness that we haven't done anything wrong is the way to this experience of defenselessness. Beautiful. All right. Well, 
moving through these uh, characteristics of the teachers of God and applying them to our relationships. So I'm inviting you this week to pay real attention to, do you defend yourself? Do you make excuses? Do you explain why you did what you did? And does all of that, is all of that necessary? Are you defending yourself because there's a, a belief that you're inherently wrong or bad or not good enough? And can that be released? Release it to the Holy Spirit every time you notice that defensiveness coming up. And you will heal the pattern of defenselessness. Now, if someone accuses me of something, let's say that I did, you know, whatever, you drank the last of the coffee or you forgot to bring coffee, it's true, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry if that created an inconvenience for you. Yeah, that's what happened. I'm sorry. It wasn't my intention to be bothersome. I meant to bring it. I forgot. End of story. I don't have to keep saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I wish I had done that. That's not necessary. Not with spiritual people, because that defense is a lie anyway. Yes, indeed. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) So grateful for doing this work together. So our next class, we're back on the Monday schedule, community calls on Saturday as usual. So we're back on uh, our normal schedule. And uh, I, I hope some of you will be able to come to the Forgive and Be Free retreat. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it may not seem like you can have a lot of fun doing a forgiveness retreat. Uh, but definitely we're going to have fun. I always like to have a lot of fun when we go on retreat and make it really playful and joyful because we can learn through joy. And we're going to do a lot of deep healing. Course Miracle says forgiveness is our function. And forgiveness is the key to all of our healing physically, mentally, and emotionally. So we're going to do quite a bit of forgiveness, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to lighten our load and love ourselves free. And that's uh, in the middle of October at the Art of Living Retreat Center in North Carolina. I'm really excited to join with others for this holy purpose and to enjoy the fall foliage. The foliage will be turning, and I haven't seen that in a few years, so that would be really nice. It's so beautiful up there in the mountains, spectacular views that are so nourishing to the spirit, and I know we're going to have a very good time. And then there's the self-love retreat in Thailand in November, along with the final spiritual counseling training intensive of the year so both of those events are in november so we'll keep on keeping on with our masterful living classes right through all these uh shifts and uh, i thank you for that it's my joy and pleasure to take you with me everywhere i go 
Let's uh, tune in here for a prayer. Taking a breath of love and gratitude, we open our heart, open our mind to the very highest possibility of love. We are truly grateful and truly thankful to open ourselves to a dynamic Ascended Master healing. We are grateful and thankful to recognize and remember the mighty I Am Presence is our true identity. We are whole, perfect, and complete. There is nothing to defend. In gratitude, we share the benefits with all. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And I'm going to play a song here. And... um uh, the song I'm going to play this week is um, one I played at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's the Ho'oponopono song. So if you never read Zero Limits and you didn't get anything, uh, you didn't understand the Ho'oponopono teaching, it's not too late. I strongly encourage you to do that. And just a reminder that you can get this free Ho'oponopono chant from JenniferRuthRussell.com, JenniferRuthRussell.com. I love this song. I find it inspiring and uplifting, and I trust you will, too. God bless you.
I love you. 